Hi, this is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is home for survivors like myself and those who yearn to build resilience in their mindset and live their best life. In Season 3, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the wellness, business, media, and travel industries. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed. As a board-certified wellness coach, number one best-selling author, and syndicated columnist, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen, but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Today's podcast guests are Dr. Serena Bullard, speaker, author, and trainer, and Liz Rutledge, mindful sustainability educator. As Serena and Liz state, every morning I do what's called RPM. It's rest, P, meditate. It also helps to increase what's called brain-derived nootropic factor to increase synapses in your brain. And after having two brain injuries, I need to optimize my brain health. I would add coffee and gratitude. I'm Serena Bullard. I know it's spelled a little differently. And I'm here in Colorado. And I'm Liz Rutledge, also in Colorado. Okay, wonderful. So what do you both do for a living? Well, I've had an interesting journey. I've been a pharmacist for over 25 years, but I've experienced two brain injuries, so I'm having to reinvent myself. So I was like laying in bed saying, okay, what am I supposed to do? What is it I'm supposed to do? This idea of catch happiness came to mind. I'm like, I love it. So I became certified in so many different things to help people facilitate more happiness in their lives and also resiliency because life can be challenging. And then Liz and I met and we're just such in sync and we're very complimentary for what we teach so that we've joined forces to help people around the world. Yeah, and I'm a mom of three and I've been teaching mindfulness to little kids like elementary school, middle schoolers, and then more recently adults since 2014. But I also have a focus on sustainability. So I talk about mindful sustainability, mindfulness about ourselves, our community and our planet. And like Serena said, she teaches about resiliency, happiness, and visioning, and I teach about mindfulness and sustainability. So together, we bring this like curated package of awesomeness. (laughs) I connected with both of you because thank you so much for collaborating with me on my interview series with Authority Magazine and Thrive Global, Rising Through Mm -hmm. Resilience, How to Be More Resilient During Turbulent Times. And Liz, I found it very intriguing that the first sort of few things that you mentioned was about not letting stress accumulate in the body. Uh, for someone who's a cancer survivor, I can actually pinpoint that I actually did allow, not that it's the co- the only cause, but I, it was a cause in um, in my diagnosis for sure. Yeah, you got to shake that off. Shake it off as often as possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because so many people hold on to 
anxiety, they don't have some way to release it. You know, we all have different things, whether it's going for a run, punching a pillow, yelling, whatever it is to relieve that stress, because if it stays in the body, it has some sort of manifestation within your body, whether it's something that affects your physical health or your mental health. Yeah, I, and I love some of the items you mentioned about like punching a pillow, screaming, <laughs> running, dancing. It might, it might look strange, but I think to a large degree, uh, it's really about just the release, right? Yeah, and for me, just this week, I've had a stressful thing come up, and the first thing I did was cried. And and I told my husband, because he always creates a safe space for me to just be slobbery and a mess on the in a puddle on the floor. And and they've done all this science. There's actually all these articles now about how crying releases all kinds of stuff, including manganese, which when it builds up in your body increases the cortisol stress hormone. But the very first thing I did, because this got this kind of shocking news, and then I had a big cry, and I told my husband, I said, I cry so that I can be strong when I go be with my dad who's in the hospital today. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's it's tough times we all are sort of going through. Um, I really sort of loved both your perspectives on sort of this example of like being a mom, obviously, you know, Liz, and then, you know, um, you know Serena, about your three times near-death experiences. How have you been able to cultivate resilience in the face of just all that tumultuous, um, you know, situations? Well, I feel very fortunate because I have a very resilient family. And the third time was probably the most impactful because I was in a coma for 18 days, hospital for two and a half months. And they told my family they were gonna take care of me for the rest of my life. And I feel so blessed and honored that I'm able, you know, that I was able to be resilient and move through it. But it was also, my family was like, we're not gonna accept that. We're going to do everything in our ability to make sure she gets the best care, that she has positive people and environment where she is, so that I was empowered because I couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't even feed myself. And I feel like your environment really impacts your resilience and your mindset. And you have to be conscious of that because many times we can go down that negative Nelly or Ned road and we have to be conscious like, where am I taking myself today? Because is this serving me or not? And, and Liz, I, I know in your story, it's a lot of traveling. <laughs> I, I think at some point you went to Australia, correct? Yeah, our family moved to Australia in 2006. I was seven months pregnant when we moved. We had two little ones. So we had a two and four year old son and daughter. And then I was pregnant with our third. And so had to navigate like finding an OBGYN at the last minute, finding a hospital, which is hard because down there, and I'm sure it's true here now, they, as soon as they get that pregnancy test saying mm -hmm. you're pregnant, they book into the hospital. And so had to pull a bunch of strings and, yeah, it was an adjustment for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, Serena, I really sort of like this idea or this sort of fact that you mentioned, which is kind of startling about kids rushing to antidepressants and, and finding that quick fix. Can you speak more about just from your experience, how that, you know, how that, you know, how's that affected you and, and how have you seen any positive progress towards? Well, I would say with the pandemic, it's really had a negative impact on people's mental health, unfortunately. We see more suicides and more people who are on antidepressants. 
Um, thank goodness we have antidepressants to help people and anti-anxiety medications, but I do feel like we need to navigate this for children. Start off very young with meditation to bring some calmness. And I became certified in what's called heart math and um, they help bring more calmness. And because I feel like children need to be able to navigate because life can get very stressful as we all know. I mean, we all need to have tools in our tool belt. And Liz and I feel that we share a lot of these in our course because um, it, many times when we're dealing with such stressful situations as the world is right now, we don't know how to navigate that and check in with ourselves because life gets so busy that we forget to give our own selves time. Yeah, and I would just add that, um, you know, I've taught mindfulness since my kids were little, little, and because they're my kids, of course, they resist mm -hmm. the coaching. And my son actually fell into depression during the pandemic, and and I just couldn't understand why, first of all, why he was resisting what could help him. But when you're, when you're that type of depressed and you just have zero motivation, it's hard to even put one foot in front of the other. And he is on, he is on antidepressants and he's now had a change in environment. He's met new friends. He's in, in a club where he feels like he belongs. He's doing rock climbing, getting exercise, all those things that add to ways to stay out of depression. He's now doing, but it took a complete shift in environment of him going off to college. But he literally went from being class rank number one for the first three years of high school to not on track to graduate and he barely graduated and that was heartbreaking to see but now he's in school and had this complete shift and he is still on the antidepressants for the moment but he's changed so many things i don't think it'll be for, for much longer so i would say like at least for me um covid and this pandemic and everything that we've been dealing with has shifted my judgment around antidepressants because some people do need them and in fact, Serena and I have both been on, I've been on anti-anxiety, you've been on antidepressants at different times. So we can at least relate to what that is like. And sometimes you need a little help, um, but being open to weaning off of them and doing the things that it takes to not slip back into depression, you know, super it, helpful. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because um, I do want to share because years ago I was, I'm always such a happy-go-lucky, fun <laughs> person and I was feeling in a funk. I'm like, what is wrong? And it was a complete month that I was like, what is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. I went to my doctor and I said, do you mind drawing my blood and seeing if, what my vitamin D level is? And he drew, he's like, oh my gosh, I've never seen one this low. And so mm -hmm. fortunately we were able to supplement with vitamin D and I was better within a month. But when I was on antidepressants, it was after my accident because I couldn't practice pharmacy anymore. And I just felt like, what am I doing? Why am I even here? You know, I had those thoughts and feelings and I couldn't get out. It was, a, and I tried, I did everything. I exercised, I did affirmations. I did all those things to help me, but I was in a really negative space. So I had to be on antidepressants. And I think I was on them for like 14 months, but it was able, was able to navigate through the challenges that I was experiencing with them. So they did help me for sure. Yeah. And then Liz, I know you mentioned a profound impact was a 14 year old boy in your community who unfortunately committed suicide. And I just loved how you phrased it like a permanent solution to a temporary problem. H how did that sort of experience what you do for a living and you know, your work? Like how did, how did that impact that? Well, I, I was in shock because my oldest, who's now going to be 21 this year, was 12. And I was like, how does somebody that young even know how? Like, I was like, how do they even know how? 
And it just, I guess I was really naive. I just had no idea. And I had no idea what the struggles were. And so I went to the school counselor and I was like, I find this unacceptable. I, I want to do something to be part of the change and, and to help. And it started with me mentoring a student and then very quickly became, when I said, I have this thing to offer called mindfulness, I started doing mindfulness, which it's an IB school, so International Baccalaureate School. Mindfulness is one of their focuses and it's supposed to be being taught. And I was sort of just, you know, taking them to the curb and being like, look guys, you're supposed to be teaching this. So I just sort of started doing it as a club and then we did it during advisory and then we did it during morning meeting. And I've, so I've worked with one child, I've worked with 250 kids, um, all in middle school, that icky time of life when you just feel like nothing's going right and you have zits and your body's not, doesn't feel right in, in its shell and whatever else. And, and just started doing that. And then I got formally trained by mindful schools so I had a curriculum to follow and and just started doing that. But I grew up with mindfulness. My parents were teaching mm. me breathwork to manage pain from a very young age. And what's interesting is my father's in the hospital right now and he was having some pain and I was then coaching him, like reminding him, <laughs> remember the breathwork. And I actually, I, can I just share something kind of new that I just learned this last week? Yeah, absolutely. Here's a little trick. If you're in pain, stub your toe, trip, whatever, um, yawn you can force a yawn and it distracts your brain from the pain a little bit and my dad was doing that in the hospital this week and he's like that actually really worked it was amazing and what's funny is her her father has his phd in engineering and he's a very like, <laughs> scientific guy and oh. he was like, okay yeah. Mm. So, but yeah i was absolutely drawn to just you know, the Dalai Lama says, you know, if every eight-year-old was taught meditation, we would have world peace in a generation or something like that. And I just think like, yeah. And so that's why I now teach elementary school kids. I'm like, they can't get young enough before, you know, they're never too young to just start working with the breath or finding visualizations or using affirmations or whatever else. And maybe if we can get enough people that are young doing that, maybe they can teach their parents and then maybe we can start making a difference in, the, in, the, in having an impact on the antidepressant use and suicide uh, statistics. I just love a backstory and I love your backstory, you know, Serena with Catch Happiness and Liz with your company like Sustainable Three. How have you found collaboration? Um, how have you found the inner workings to be? scary confusing and awesome all at the same time yeah we're so she's, very in sync yeah right. so she's catch she has catch happiness llc and i have sustainable three llc so we are doing business as sustainable happiness together and it's bringing in both the or all the elements in one place but yeah we've had a lot of moments one fun example is that we have this online course collection that's at winningwellness.learnworlds.com and we we had gotten this coaching that is confusing because our social media is sustainable happiness together and our email is sustainable happiness together and the other day i was like oh we should get the dot com you know and it turns out serena had already bought it and we totally forgot in april last April. Ah. And so we just like assigned the name and now we have sustainablehappinessstogether.com. So there's been a lot of synchronicity like that. That's been so fun. Um, but there have been challenges and I think we've had some tears. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, I mean, it's interesting because this life journey definitely has different um, obstacles in it, but I feel like very passionate because being in healthcare, you want to help people, but I want to be more proactive versus reactive. Because I mean, 
Yeah, when people came to me, many times they were having to be on medication, but what can we do to help prevent that? I mean, you can't do it for everything, but you can hopefully help people navigate life a little bit easier. Well, I think one really important element is the growth mindset. You know, seeing any challenge that's coming our way as an opportunity for growth. So you can just see that with what's happening with the COVID pandemic, right? Look at how quickly they came up with a vaccine. Look at how quickly um, people rallied to get supplies. And, you know, there's been so many instances of, of good that have come out of it and innovation that have come out of it. And we don't know how this is all going to play out, but we've learned a few things and gotten really good at using like Zoom. So, yeah. you know, we got that going for us. Serena and I become quite good at using, um, I actually have a studio in my basement now and using um, that as a way, because we used to do in-person workshops and figuring out how to do virtual seminars and webinars and that kind of stuff has been a whole pivot for us. And if we look back at the way we were doing things, you know, in 2020, it's like, oh my gosh, we've come so far. <laughs> well, I think you guys mentioned it as pulling your big girl's pants up in the article, which I thought was really, really funny. Um, <laughs> uh, that was hilarious. Um, you know, I, I sort of like this idea, um, you know, uh, like, Serena, when you mentioned about like preparing for potential challenges, this idea that resilience is really mostly preparation, thinking probably what could maybe perhaps happen and, and preparing for that. Can you speak more to that? That's really fascinating. Yeah, a definition of resilience by heart math really resonates with me and it's the capacity to prepare for, recover from and adapt in the face of stress, challenges and adversity. And we all have people and situations that push our buttons. And we know we're like, okay, if we've got to talk to this client or this person that is very challenging, we can prepare beforehand to bring our best selves forward. Because if we don't, it maybe could like, turn a different way and cause stress for that relationship or whatever it might be. And I think if we're able to prepare with breath work, heart-focused breathing, which is what we do through HeartMath, um, we're able to be more calm. And we also have more access to our prefrontal cortex. So we're making more logical decisions because when we're under stress, we release cortisol. When we release cortisol, we decrease blood flow to our prefrontal cortex. We're not making as many logical decisions. We're making more emotional decisions, which usually doesn't turn out all that great. So, you know, so that I feel like if we know that we're going to have a challenging day that we can invest five minutes in our time of our time to prepare for it, do our conscious heart-focused breathing. What I would, I would also add to that, um, if you know you're gonna be on a Zoom meeting or have a, a phone call or be walking into a room with somebody who you know might trigger you, you can take a slow deep breath or three slow deep breaths and like get in your body and walk and then enter the and mm. then enter the meeting or whatever it is. And you can also choose to send a call to voicemail if you know that that's triggering, or you can choose to not answer answer a call if you know it's not the good you're not it's not the right time and you're not in a good space for it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's all it's it's all connected. I think the mindfulness and the heart math piece, the resiliency piece, it's all it's all just mostly mindset still, but also just recognizing when you know you you can almost predict you know i'm going to be driving in traffic it's probably going to trigger me so can i put on a podcast to distract myself can i you know put on some fun music and just try to be chill yeah liz i think you also even mentioned about 
resilience to you is about what's actually happening, like not skirting the issue or not pretending, looking at the transparent aspect of, of what, what you're facing. And I, I really think that's really key, as you mentioned. Yeah, removing guilt and blame and all the filters that we tend to add. You know, if somebody cuts us off in traffic and they're speeding up ahead, they might be a jerk, but they almost—they also might be racing a loved one to the hospital or, um, you know, something that's that's just out of our realm of understanding. And so, us getting upset or throwing being throwing ourselves into worry isn't helpful. And that for me, that was tested this week with my dad in the hospital and. Um, and, and yeah, I think it's it's the attitude is really is really key, but just watching out for the gremlins. You call them gremlins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is true because many times I feel like we've got those gremlins in our head that are giving us the negative thoughts and things of nature, and you could just say, "No, nope, I've got this. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to be fine." Because I think many times we are uh, self. Uh, allowing ourselves to beat ourselves up when we need to empower ourselves. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, in the article too, I, I also asked the difference or maybe the similarities to resilience and courage. How do you each define both of those? What did we say? So resilience is like being able to pick yourself up when stuff happens or be strong in the face of what happens. And courage is just to be able to go for it, right? Yeah. Having having the strength to just push through that fear. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, you can be courageous and not be resilient. You can just say, okay, I'm gonna do it regardless and then maybe regret it. But, <laughs> but I feel like being courageous is a huge gift because if you're not, if you don't put your foot in the water, you're not gonna know what's out there, you know? and. I think many times we hold ourselves back, but being resilient, you know, things happen in life and how are we going to allow ourselves to bounce back and to recover from it? Um, and it may not have even been something courageous. It could have just been an everyday event that set us on a tailspin. Yeah. And I think it also takes courage to say something, you know, to, to, to hold a space for somebody to, um, to have, to, to create a space for yourself to be resilient in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Liz as well, you mentioned, you know, sort of taking that courageous action, but you might need resilience to navigate the consequences of that action. It, to me, it just made so much sense. Like it, we kind of intrinsically probably know this, but it, just the way you phrased it really, really spoke to me. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, Serena, you know, you mentioned about a spinal cord injury. How have you sort of used that or taken that experience um, with what what many people would think as a defeatist type of situation in their life to sort of bolster you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's interesting because I had to have, I crushed T7 in my spine and um, this was with the bike accident. So I, it's funny, I was a patient at Craig Hospital and you either have to have a traumatic brain injury or spinal cord injury. And I'm an overachiever, so I had both. <laughs> <laughs> you had to do both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, it was scary, obviously, having spinal surgery. But if I didn't have it, potentially would be paralyzed. And the surgeon, actually, he is incredible. He and I are really good friends out. And I'm just like, that's he's just a really good man. And um, 
I remember going to a friend's wedding and I had to have on a back brace. So I had a nice dress on and then had on the back brace. And I was like, okay, I'm sporting a new look, but I'm walking, I'm talking, and I'm able to be at my friend's wedding. And I think that many times, you know, I've got scars on my back now and, uh, you know, there's some insecurities about that, but I'm like, no, they're my warrior wounds. My, you know, I, I feel like I, I earned these for mm -hmm. sure. And I definitely, I mean, we all have different challenges, but luckily it's not held me back. I actually ran the Boulder Boulder less than 10 months after the spine surgery, which is a 10K race. And I did it without stopping, not fast, but I did yeah. it without stopping. So I was like, okay, I empower myself to do this. And that was a huge goal. Yeah, and, and Liz, your, your the statement that you made in the piece about the only person that told me the impossible was me. I'm like, whoa, because I literally am my worst, my own worst enemy. I've always known. I've tried to make amends with it. I've tried to overcome it. I, but I know anytime I face a battle, I'm far harder on myself than anyone else is. Yeah, we are our own worst enemy for sure in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and Serena, like your story about being struck by lightning. I mean. <laughs> like reading this and like I'm not laughing but I'm like how is she still able to function like it's amazing to me your story seriously well I was very fortunate because um I was you know, feeding the animals in the backyard and lightning struck the fence and knocked me to the ground and I remember getting up running as fast as I could and these sparks were flying off my body and I felt like like and I was yelling daddy daddy and then when he found me I was not responsive and luckily my mom knew CPR and she gave me CPR and brought me back and went to the hospital that night and stayed the night. But I had on those flip-flops, the old school flip-flops. The physician was like, that's what saved your life. He's like, if you didn't have those on, those rubber soles protected you and grounded you. And I feel so fortunate because I really didn't have any secondary effects. I mean, my arm hurt quite a bit after, but I was fine. And um, yeah. That, okay, this is a little different, but I grew up in Florida, which is a common place for lightning strikes. So, yeah, and 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 Liz, sort of this example of growing up in a performance based, you know, musician family with your mom, and you were taught very early on to kind of work through your mistakes or just kind of get better. Um, can yeah, you speak more about that? Going. Yeah, well, I so my mother is a organist and piano teacher and organ teacher and choir director and and so I've been in the choir and we performed with the Colorado Ballet wow. one time with the children's chorale and um, I played the flute and I was trained by so between my mother and my flute teacher basically both of them taught me how to you know if you make a mistake you don't let anyone know you just keep going and they don't need to know you played the wrong notes they don't need to know anything and so we just I would that's how I was raised is you just you pick yourself up you keep going you don't let anyone see a sweat. What's that? It's a deodorant commercial or something. Yeah. <laughs> Never let them see a sweat. And and it's, you know, of course, it's, of course, on the inside, you know, my butterflies are going crazy mm -hmm. and maybe I'm sweating, but like, it, it really taught me a lot about, and I would say that's a resilient skill too, just mm -hmm. to be able to keep going. Don't be like, oh, I can't, you know, and, and now we've got all these America's Got Talent shows where people are putting themselves out there for deep scrutiny. And, um, yeah, it's it's a great skill to have to be able to. But I was taught to cover up those little mistakes when playing my flute, and when performing with like my mom. I was in her choir 
and she, my mom did all kinds of stuff, magical dinners and all the things. Um, and I don't know, I guess I had a great role model in that sense. Like my, my mother actually took um, 30 kids to go sing for the Pope in Rome once, like mm. wow. took a group of kids to sing for the Pope, no pressure. <laughs> and she's played on the organ in Versailles twice. And I got her on the organ in the Sydney Opera House once. And, you know, just being able to just keep going. And the performance art, are, performance arts are a great way to overcome anxiety because they just kind of throw you in the deep end. They swim, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of built up pressure, but I could see, like you said, it's like a muscle. You keep working at it so it gets better. Hundred percent. So, like the prep and reset that Serena talks about, the heart math. So, mm -hmm. with heart math, you are um, forcing yourself essentially to find a calm space and think of a positive emotion in it. You can tap into that. And I talk about finding the still small space within, and you can almost like in the Matrix or the Shrek. Mm -hmm. You know how the time slows down, everything moves in slow motion. If you get really, really present, it sort of goes like that. And um, if you've ever had an accident. You know, it feels like everything's going in slow motion. I think that that's when we're really, really focused on the present moment. And when you can do that, you can get through almost anything because you just get real clarity, right? Yeah, absolutely. So collectively, what are your five steps that someone can can do, act, be, to become more resilient? Well, every morning I do what's called RPM. It's rest, pee, meditate. <laughs> I love the pee. I love the pee one. Because we take that all for granted. So I, I, I love that you put yeah, it. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got to do that first. And I meditate every single morning. And I think that that's key because it brings more calmness to my day. And it also helps to increase what's called brain-derived neurotropic factor to increase um, synapses in your brain. And after having two brain injuries, I need to optimize my brain health. So um, that's why. So rest, pee, meditate. And I would add coffee and gratitude. <laughs> I love that. So that's the, that's that listen to the body part. I really, I really, really love it. What are, what are some other ones? I think exercise too. That's a key yeah. thing because stress, as we talked about earlier, can accumulate in the body. And if you don't release it, um, then that's an issue. And there is um, this book called Spark and the doctor, he speaks about how exercise can help with anxiety, depression, and ADHD for children, for anyone. And when I would dispense these medications, I would talk to the parents and say, is your child exercising? I want to make sure because it can have a positive impact on their overall health. Yeah. I know also in the article, you mentioned an acronym D-O-S-E. Can you give more context around that? Yeah, um, when people are happy, I say a daily dose of happiness, and dose is an acronym. The D equals dopamine, O for oxytocin, S for serotonin, and E for endorphins. So those are the chemicals that are produced when we're happy. So I just want people to be conscious because, you know, some days can be really challenging. And we actually came up with a game um, that we want parents, and, well, families to do together where you do an activity once a week together for at least an hour, put away your gaming devices and your, your phones and be present and do something silly, whether it's a dance party or, you know, cooking dinner together, have fun playing a board game, whatever it might be, because I think that we need to remember to have fun and introduce happiness into our lives because we get so busy that we sometimes forget. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the COVID-19 pandemic has, has taught us that human connection is really important. Mm -hmm. And 
only connecting over Zoom doesn't cut it sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that creating connections with friends, neighbors, family that can be an interaction um, and is supportive. really helpful. Yeah, super helpful. But having it be something fun. So Serena and I, when we get together, we always meditate for three minutes and 33 seconds before we start our work. But we also sometimes, if we're like before a Zoom or before we're doing our videos, we'll put on a fun dance dance song and we'll do have a little dance party and just like you know whether we're separate in our own homes or together and and it just lifts your mood and you you can actually feel the dose the dope dopamine oxytocin <laughs> serotonin and endorphin moving through your body it's pretty awesome yeah it is because it, what's it, it's the energy what's the favorite song um of yours that 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 gets you guys high up in the clouds well for me it's pharrell williams happy every single time mm. but do you have a go-to yeah i love that song too we yeah it definitely brings happiness to my day yeah i know there was a piece uh, a step as well you mentioned sort of being in the present i actually had someone who actually said to me recently like that's it's boring like i can't be thinking about what i want to do i can't be thinking i'm like no it's not like present all the time like just be present in whatever activity you need to be present with how how have you guys well first of all have you come across any resistance to that um and i think sometimes people don't understand what that actually even means well one of the biggest shockers for me was a mutual friend of ours was helping me with some storyboarding and he and i was walking him through one of my meditation presentations and he's like i hate sitting to meditate. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. And that inspired me to do a standing meditation for the kids because I wasn't even thinking like, oh, these kids probably don't want to just sit and breathe all the time. So I mix things up. Um, absolutely, there's resistance. My own three kids, for example, um, they do it, but they don't want me to know that they do it. And uh, and they don't do it in the format that I necessarily taught it in, but they I've absolutely witnessed them sort of start to have a little panic, slow down and breathe, close their eyes, you know, those kinds of thing, things. Um, there's absolutely resistance, but I think it, for a lot of people, I think it's scary to not be planning for the future or reveling in the past. But what I've learned in the last two years, because what's gotten me through my sudden depression is that daily 30 minutes of meditation every single morning, because it's just like if you were training for a 10K or working on up to having a physical goal, it builds upon itself. And so I'm finding myself more calm if my mother says something that's triggering or more calm if traffic gets crazy and I get honked at. And, and so I think that if there was one thing I would love to share with people who are resistant is you don't know till you try. And it's so magical when you can just find that calm, find that calm, find that calm. And then you're clear and you're thinking and you make better, more decisions and you're more focused for tests or whatever challenges you have and nervous situations and you show up better in relationships and all kinds of stuff. There's so many benefits, but it doesn't have to be sitting and breathing. It can be walking. It can be um, watching a candle flame. It can be count counting beads like on a mala. Um, it's all kinds of ways. Well, even in that, I mean, also mindfulness, I think is like, let's just say you're with friends to be present, to be with them and not like worrying about who's calling who, this <laughs> and that. And I, you know, the quote that I say a lot is the past is history, the future is a mystery, but the moment is a present. And I think, yes, we do have to plan for the future and we do have to be proactive in our day. We can't just be present and do nothing else. It's a be present, <laughs> obviously. But I think that if we're able to slow down a little bit and not race all throughout our day and be with whether it's at dinner time 
present with our family or friends or whatever it is, that one hour to give yourself that gift because so many times we're so busy that we forget to do that and we miss opportunities and magical moments because we're so busy. Mm, yeah. So really listening is such a powerful gift, like mindful listening. When people really feel heard, it's like magic too. And that's and so that's getting really present and just listening. Yeah. And actually that leads me to the portion which I call brainstorming. Um, and both of you spoke really similarly um, to that question I asked about if you could create a movement. And, you know, I think Liz, you mentioned the the mindful minute and you know, Serena, you mentioned teaching kids really young, the idea of meditation. Just yeah. wanted to kind of talk about how do you think because the concept, it seems to me, someone who's been a longtime editor to myself, feels like it's something to be found. But I think if you can introduce it early on, it becomes habitual. Um, and I just, I wanted to just talk about that. If there's any ways that we could collectively come up with some time of way, because, you know, we know kids like games, right? So we don't want to gamify it technically, but it's a good impetus to get them at least interested. So I just, I just wanted to really talk about that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because Liz and I are creating a course for children and it's called Lessons from the Bright Butterfly. And we talk about mindfulness, resiliency, meditation, and many things like that because I do feel like children, um, when they're introduced to things, they're more open to trying new things than adults because they're not jaded by whatever's <laughs> happened in their lives, you know. But I think with kids, also, we now know that if you meditate, you do better on tests because you have more access to your prefrontal cortex and there's benefits for your brain. You increase gray matter in the brain and there's so many benefits to it. And even if, um, like Liz said, just a minute before each class, I think that will allow the children to be more present for sure. Yeah, I really think if they, if every single teacher, so the math teacher, the English teacher, science teacher, if they would just take one minute at the very beginning of class, once they have the whole class gathered, that they would recoup that minute very quickly mm -hmm. because the kids will be more focused, less interrupting and whatnot, and more calm. And so maybe they'd even complete the tests more quickly that they have to, that they have to do. Um, so that's been my, that is my, my vision and my dream and has been for years would be just be to get that integrated into the classroom, but we can start as adults. Like, like we said, every time we get together, we do a three minute, 30 second. I'm, on, I'm the president of a board for a, an organization called Healthy Denver Inc. We start our board meetings with one minute of uh, mindful mm -hmm. deep breathing and we restate our mission and we all get on the same page around why are we here? What are we doing here? You know, because otherwise people are, the kids might still be thinking about what they did on the playground or the fact that they were running late for class and not really present and open and ready to learn. Yeah, and we never know what someone else has dealt with before a meeting or before whatever. I mean, they could have had something totally, you know, mind-altering happen beforehand. But if we're able to all be present, we're able to move through the meeting or the time together better. Yeah, I just listening to you both, I think for me what's sort of coming up is this aspect of kids really – fall into the peer pressure aspect. So if you can make meditation or that aspect of it, something that collectively people are doing, then there's more adoption. And that's just, I don't know how to do it, but I think the first start 
is just as when you guys were explaining it, I was in Starbucks seven or eight months ago and like, I didn't know, but the Starbucks was like a different section of the county that I live in. And I'm like 2.30, like 35 kids just came in and started ordering like all these things. And like, I was like really surprised. And it was, what was interesting was that they were wearing masks, the majority of them, but they all kind of followed one another in terms of like how they're talking, what they're saying. And so that just kind of bubbled up in me. And so I wanted to mention it. I don't know how that would work with meditation, but this sort of idea of if one person, then other ones will follow, especially at that age group. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm all about gamification. When I came to to be with Serena today for this podcast, I I walked in. I said I I was at the hospital with my dad this morning. I didn't get a chance to do my meditation on the Insight Timer, and I have a streak going. I don't want to lose my streak. <laughs> yeah. So we used my phone to use the Insight Timer for our meditation today, and it it's just it, it absolutely hits your dopamine center of your brain. You get a you get a kickback. And so why not gamify it or why not create a streak in a classroom, you know, and if they, if they do seven days, they get a, some kind of a, I don't know, extra time at recess or uh, I don't know what it would look like necessarily, but maybe we could be working with schools to incentivize kids and they absolutely do peer pressure each other to do stuff. So when they start being like, Hey man, this is cooler than drugs, you know, <laughs> then it might take off, right? And it's free. <laughs> It doesn't cost anything. Yeah. So, uh, Serena and Liz, where can my audience and listeners find out more about you and, and your work? Well, we'd love for them to go to sustainablehappinesstogether.com. Okay, it's, wonderful. Uh, it's the cent central train station for a lot of our business. And from there, they can find our social media and all of our courses. And then Serena, I don't know if you want to talk about your book website, because that's okay. kind of cool. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's fascinating because we're both connectors. Can I share this really wild story with you? Um, so I wrote a book and it's called CQ, Creating Conscious Connections. So I tried to get creatingconsciousconnections.com and it was not available. Well, then that was May. Then in September of 2019, one of my girlfriends was moving to Bali and I called her and I said, oh, you know, I have friends that live there. I want to introduce you to them because, you know, they're from Colorado too. And you guys can connect over there. And so that was my intention just to do that. And she said, well, what have you been up to? And I said, oh, I'm finishing up my book. And she said, oh, what's the name of it? And I said, oh, it's C3 Creating Conscious Connections. And she said, what is it? <laughs> and I tell her again, she's like, oh my God, Serena, I feel like there's angels around us right now. I said, why do you say that? She's like, literally three days ago, I rebranded to Sarah B. Fit, but I was creating consciousconnections.com. Oh my God. And she How's named me the domain name. I was like, oh Wow, that's awesome. That's so great. <laughs> I'm not sure what the statistics are. I said it like in the postscript. I said, I'm not a statistician, but the chances of that happening would be less than winning the lottery. Yes. What are the chances of that? So it made me feel like, okay, I'm on the right path. And this book is one, um, it's about me, my life story about almost dying three times, but also brings in a lot of science about how people can help their environments be better and the impact that people have on their physiology. And I talk about epigenetics and many things like that to try to help people realize you are in charge of different things in your life. So how can you optimize them? Mm. I love it. Well, thank you so much. I really love this. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Thank you, Savio. We really Wonderful. appreciate it. Wonderful.
I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. You can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains, and my author website, isurvivedcancer.co, where you can purchase my number one best-selling book, I Survived Cancer and Here's How I Did It. 35 cancer survivors share their journey and view the book trailer, including excerpts from the book. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this podcast platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.